All right, come on in. We're going to get started. Everybody simmer down. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Dear God. See, you you pretend to start praying and everyone gets quiet. It works. Okay. I gave you guys a few minutes to socialize. Um, Yeah, not long enough. Yeah. I'm excited for this class. I was reflecting on it, thinking about you guys, and so I was surprised with how many people were here last week, but I don't know if that's maybe it's something that you personally struggle with or you want to help other people who deal with this issue. I think, I think especially today, it's going to be really practical and applicable to every single person, no matter who you are, and so I'm looking, looking forward to it. Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much um, that we can gather together as your people, that we can, um, in the worship service, we can sing songs of praise to you, we can... Um, listen to your word. We can pray together. We can commune with one another. Uh, thank you for that blessing and the freedom that we have in Christ um, and just the opportunities we have in this country. I just pray uh, for this morning as we look to this um, vital issue of, of fighting the fight of the faith, um, that we would take up the whole armor of God, that we would realize um, the spiritual struggle and conflict that we are in, and that with your help and with your strength, we can continue to press on Um, and say with Paul at the end of our lives, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I just pray that you would bless this time, and it would be glorifying to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, before we get started, um, a couple people last week asked for some of the the resources that I've been using, and so you have that on the back of your handout. I was just going to go over them real quick, um, because I know a couple of you guys were asking, hey, what are are we using here? And so the first book, which is kind of where I'm I'm basing this class off of, is called uh, Think Again. Fancy, I mean, I just plagiarized this title, right? Um, so Think Again, this is by um, Jared Mellinger, the subtitle, Relief from the Burden of Introspection. And I bought this book last year because I'd never heard of, like, a book on this title. And I was actually looking for one in a while. And I found it, and I was like, oh, that'd be interesting. And I read it, and it was good. And so I told the pastors about it, and they were like, hey, we should do a class on it. I was like, okay. So that's why we're here. Um, it's really simple to read. It's, it's not a weighty, academic, you know, hard-to-understand words book. It's really simple. Um, and that's why, it, it, that's why it's good. Um, but it's also, he says some profound things in there. So it's really helpful. Um, again, I would recommend this book. I gave it out to a couple people. Um, if you want somewhere to start, this is what I'd recommend, because it's really easy to read. Think Again by Jared Mellinger. Um, the other one I have on there is um, A Still and Quiet Mind. This is by Esther Smith, 12 Strategies for Changing Unwanted Thoughts. This was actually, it was, it was one of the Gospel Coalition's like Book of the Year. And so I saw it and I was like, oh, sounds interesting. And it's pretty good. Um, I would recommend, you don't really need to buy this because I'm planning on spending the last two or three weeks just going through this whole book because it's really practical. Um, and I'll probably skip some things. There's some things in there that she says that I'm like, ooh. Um, but not much. Like there was like one or two things. And I was like, I wouldn't do that. Um, but other than that, it's really good. Um, a still and quiet mind. Like I said, we're going to talk about it, so you don't have to. If after I talk about it, you want to read it, then I'd, I'd buy it. Um, the other book that is excellent, Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I've already talked about this one. Spiritual Depression, its causes and cure. And so like I said, Lloyd-Jones um, was a medical doctor. Like he was the up-and-coming rising star of the medical world. Um, I didn't know they even had those. But uh, anyways, 
And he left uh, the medical profession to become a pastor, and he's excellent. He's so practical. Um, he's rich theologically. It's a little antiquated, some of the language. Um, you just have to realize he's, he's a Welshman, and he's preaching in England. I think those are in the 60s. So is that like 60 years ago? So it's a little antiquated, but not much. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to follow. I would highly recommend that book. And then the last one I put on there, it's not really super applicable to this book, uh, to this class, but True Devotion by Alan Chappell. This book is excellent. I think this is probably like top five book every Christian should read because it really just deals with living the Christian life. And especially with just there's so much God spoke to me and, you know, all this stuff. He just goes back to, for 2,000 years of church history, how the church has lived, how Christians in the church have lived is by the word and prayer. It's just that constant back and forth. Um, prayer is not God speaking to you and, you know, you feel him in your inner depths like, you know, Sarah Young or something like that would say. No, prayer is us responding to God. And so, it, I mean, that book is excellent. Excellent, excellent book. Um, so those would be the four. Like I said, I'd probably start with Think Again. And then if you want even more, um, I'd read Spiritual Depression by Lloyd-Jones. If you want even more, just come talk to me. I mean, there's tons of books out there that are great. Um, really, really good stuff. Any questions about those books? Some people asked about the books. Okay, we'll move on. So I want to review real quick a little bit what we talked about last week. Um, pretty much what we're doing in this whole class is what's the wrong way to examine ourselves? That's what I would if we're taking Lloyd-Jones' definition of introspection, where it's kind of self-examination on steroids, and on the contrary, what's the right way to examine ourselves? So not just what not to do, but also what should we do. But dealing with this introspection, this, um, you know, th- this situation where if we're left alone with our thoughts, uh, you know, we're depressed and we can't do anything, how do we get out of that? And what should we then do? Uh, we, we looked at last week that article um, stop finding your identity in Christ. Hopefully that was maybe eye-opening for some of you. I read it. I was like, wow, I had no idea. Um, and, you know, he goes back to this language of identity, right? And I think I have the next slide here. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we kind of unpack this, where identity in, in kind of the cultural lingo is this internally determined reality. Um, you know, what's your truth? The, what's most important? What's true? What corresponds to reality is what I say about myself. It's very subjective. Right? It's just based on your feelings. You might wake up and, I mean, your reality is falling apart. Right? And I wanted to say that we probably need to adopt more biblical language like union with Christ, which is externally conferred status. That's what's real. What's most important is what another says about myself. Not what I say, not what I think, but what God says in his word. And I wanted to return briefly. I didn't have much time. I, I, I went through it real quick. This Galatians 2.20. Um, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I was just arguing that we really have to do this by faith. I mean, that's what Paul says. I live by faith. So, I mean, if you think about it, I guarantee you there were times in Paul's life where he didn't feel like he's been crucified with Christ, right? His experiences didn't seem like Christ is the one who lives in me. I mean, I would argue that if he lived by his experience, his own subjective thoughts, um, I guarantee you he would struggle with thinking if he's been crucified with Christ. I mean, just think of his persecutions and sufferings, right? Imprisonment. Five times he was being whipped to the point of death, right? He was stoned. I mean, his experiences were terrible. And he even says in 1 Timothy, right, 
what, I'm the chief of all sinners? Like, if you think about this, like, if you left Paul alone with his thoughts, going through all of his circumstances, and even what he says about himself, I'm the chief of all sinners, like, he has potential to be the most spiritually depressed person ever in existence, right? Like, if we left him alone with his thoughts and his feelings, he'd be toast. But I think, I, I mean, I don't know him personally, but based on all his writings and his ministry and what he's done, he was anything but spiritually depressed to the point of where he did nothing, right? I have no doubt that he had difficult times, um, but he was productive and fruitful for the Lord. He didn't trust in his thoughts, his experiences, or his feelings. He lived by faith, right? By faith. And that's continually what we need to go back to. He entrusted himself to God in what his word said rather than looking to himself. And we need to do the same thing. We need to trust. We need to have faith. We need to continually depend on the Lord, have confidence in what the objective word of God says and submit our hearts and minds to what it says about us. But I think it's vital to start, I'll just go back to this real quick. I think it's vital to start here um, because sometimes we're so consumed with our own thoughts. We're so consumed on what we think. And I really think that um, oftentimes the struggle with introspection can just be a sinful form of like self-esteem, like self-image, where we're so consumed, you know, about what we think. We're constantly turning inward. And ultimately, I think the problem, and, you know, Romans would back this up, um, I think 1 Timothy, no, 2 Timothy, where Paul talks about how, you know, why mankind is condemned. They were lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And that's ultimately our problem is we love ourselves more than we love God. And so I think it's vital to start here that we need to love God. We'll grow less introspective as we grow to love Christ more. And we'll talk about that. That's what this core of this class is doing. We need to look to Christ, not look at ourselves so much, but become so focused on Christ. And Mellinger said this. I can't remember if I quoted this last week. Go to Christ and behold his glory. Let self-absorption give way to Christ-absorption. Right? We need to oftentimes just forget ourselves. Okay, that was last week. Any questions on last week? Okay, we're going to go. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Yes. Oh. I just noticed that on the article I gave you, yeah. the last page of the notes yes. is not included. Yes. So I intentionally did that because that was all footnotes. If you want the sources, I can give you all the sources. Um, I actually, okay, I looked up the article, uh-huh. and, but I can't, the page, I can't get it to do exactly how you printed it out. Okay. Yes. Talk to me. I will get it to you. We will get it the right way. We will get it. All right. Fighting the fight of faith. Fighting the fight of faith. I wasn't sure exactly where to go. I I mean, I had, I've been thinking about this class for a while and I've got, I've got it all in my head, but it's just in my head and it's not out there. Um, And so I think it's vital to start here. I think next week we're going to look more anthropology, like studying ourselves, how we understand, you know, mind, heart, and will. And I think that'll help us um, in this fight of faith, we do need to understand ourselves, but I think I wanted to get started. I was just like, let's, let's get going. How do we do this? Let's fight the fight. Okay, so I, I wanted to get going. Um, and I think starting with that union with Christ, that foundation, this will, will start to make sense. Um, that's art from Pilgrim's Progress, by the way, which we'll come back to it because it's, it's epic. All the best stories are just like ripoffs of the Bible, okay? And like Lord of the Rings, it's great, but Pilgrim's Progress is kind of better. Like, it's just better. And the Bible is the best, okay? Um, so we'll, we'll look at that. But I want to start with this, right? This union with Christ, right? So Galatians 2.20 says, what, I've been crucified with Christ. Um, that's that externally conferred status that the Bible says we have as Christians. We are in Christ, 
Romans 8, we'll talk about that. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. This is true. This is your position if you are a Christian. We've been adopted, Romans 8. We've been justified by faith, Romans 5. We've been reconciled to God, also Romans 5. We've been redeemed, Galatians 3. We've been set free from sin, Romans 6, and on and on and on and on, okay? The Bible says all these things are true positionally if you are a Christian. Biblically speaking, that's where we are. We are justified, meaning we are declared righteous on the basis of another person and his work, Christ. We are not just in and of ourselves. We're declared righteous on his standing. Does that make sense? We are in him. And so I wanted to start there because sometimes we, we, we try to jump to sanctification without properly understanding justification. And so we need to have that basis of, hey, if you are in Christ, you are declared righteous. But this sanctification, this, this progress in our position, if you want to put that down, that's kind of the, t- the key difference there, position versus our progress. Experientially in the day-to-day, oftentimes our progress doesn't feel like the position is true. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't feel, I mean, they're the vast majority of mornings, I don't wake up and I'm like, man, I am a new creation in Christ. Especially if you are more seasoned, I'll just say, and you, your body starts to break down, you probably don't feel like a new creation, right? Experientially, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't feel like I've been adopted. It doesn't feel or seem that I've been set free from sin. So I think we need to be reminded that we are works in progress, right? Philippians 2 that Mark preached on said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work. So we work and God is working. He is empowering us. And I think that the work we need to do, especially as it relates to self-examination, this introspection, is fighting the fight of faith. We need to fight the fight of faith. If you guys know me, even a little bit, me and Walter, we really like military history books. We love military history. We'll nerd out like, oh, hey, did you read this book? Oh, you got to read this book, dude. It's so good, right? And, and we like, you know, the whole campaign, you know, all these generals, what they're doing, and then, you know, what all these, you know, the lower guys, like the sergeants and the privates, what are they doing? These massive campaigns and this warfare going on. And I would suggest that type of literature actually has far more in common with your everyday Christian life than you might initially think, okay? I would argue, especially uh, based on Paul's language here, um, that I mean, just, just think of how many times Paul uses language like fight, okay? Or he's using military language, okay? Uh, you know, spiritual sweat, right? So I'm looking at some of these. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. It's where we get the word, the Greek word is agonizomai. You can even hear it. Agony, right? So like fighting the good fight, is it simple and easy? No, it's like agonizing. Like this is hard work. This is spiritual sweat we're putting in. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, discipline or train yourself for godliness for to this end we toil and we strive from there it's the same word we get gymnasium right what do you do at the gym work you work out you're putting in that sweat hopefully right that's what you're doing you're toiling and you're striving what does paul say at the end of his life i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith and th- this race is not a sprint it's a marathon right and we've got to put in the work we've got to put in the sweat listen to this one I was struck by this. 2 Corinthians 10. This is kind of, Paul turns the corner here in 2 Corinthians 10, and he turns from talking about authentic ministry, um, authentic Christian ministry, and then in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, entreat myself. Like, he's like saying, 
There's a big shift, and he's arguing against the false teachers. And here's what he says here. I mean, just what kind of imagery comes to mind here? For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I mean, that, that, that's like siege warfare, man. Like, that's like, this isn't just something casual, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Like, Paul is waging all-out warfare. And notice, I mean, this is significant for our class. What does he say? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's right. That's our class. We're talking about our thoughts, and we need to take them captive to obey Christ. And that's just a sampling. You'll find all kinds of this in the New Testament. I would say the pursuit of holiness is a battleground, not a playground. J.C. Ryle said, there is no holiness without warfare. Okay? It's a constant battle. And so how does this apply to self-examination? How does this apply to introspection? Well, I would say that we need to expect trials. We need to expect difficulties. We need to expect opposition. Okay? Also, I would just say based on these, on, on these passages, is the Christian life, you know, now I'm happy all the time, right? There's a really good hymn where it's like, the words are good, and it's just like, and now I'm happy all the day, and that's just garbage. <laughs> like, we're not. Like, was Paul happy all the time? No, like, he had joy in the Lord, but I think there's a difference between how we understand, you know, rejoicing in the Lord always and happiness that is oftentimes just based on our circumstances, right? And so, no, the Christian life is not one where we're on cloud nine and happy all the time. We need to realize this is a conflict, and we are probably going to take some wounds in this battle. And so what are we to do? I would say significantly for this class, um, we're talking about this battle for our mind, okay? This is a battle for our mind. Remember Romans 12, 2? Paul has just called us um, earlier in, in verse 1 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? This is your uh, spiritual worship to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice. And he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I was struck by this in looking at this passage. The do not be conformed, that's what we call it's just a passive verb. And what this seems to, what Paul seems to be saying is that we don't need to go seeking to be conformed to this world. That actually, unless we are constantly seeking to transform our minds, that being conformed to this world is just something that happens. Does that make sense? Uh, like Hebrews 2 talks about how, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In other words, if we're not paying attention, we're going to drift away. So in other words, if we're not renewing our minds, we're going to be conformed to this world. And I would argue, be conformed to this world's thinking, right? And that's why I said we needed to go back to that you know, union with Christ and thinking about identity. Biblical Christianity is not unconcerned with our mind. It is very much concerned with our mind and how we think and what we are to do. And that's where we need to fight this battle for introspection. Uh, it's not just Romans 12. This is Romans 6, right? So in this passage, um, Paul has earlier been saying, hey, if we have, we've been buried with Christ, we have died with him, okay? That's positionally true, okay? That's who you are. You've been united with him in his death, and we're going to likewise be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. But look at what he says here in verse 11. Because that's positionally true that you have died. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have died to sin, but you also need to fight the battle in your mind that that's true. Does that make sense? That's the warfare we have to fight. And that we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because of that, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And here you have the same kind of imagery of, um, you know, it's kind of like kingdom, right? Let not sin reign over you. That's not your king to make you, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, so here you go. That's the progress you need to live out. Here you go, position again. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. You are under the grace of God in the gospel of Christ. Whether we feel like it position, or whether we feel like it or not, the position is true. If we are in Christ, we have been crucified with Him, and therefore we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Okay, I wanted to spend. Uh, kind of the, the significant part of this class, I mean, we've got 20 minutes on a familiar passage, Ephesians 6, okay? So I'll have, um, I'll have this up on the screen, but I encourage you to turn there as well. As well. Ephesians 6. I need some water. Ephesians 6. And I kind of want to tease out a couple of causes as to why we might introspect just based on this passage, okay? So I'm not going to exhaust this passage. I mean, you could. Um, William Grinnell, he was a Puritan, and he wrote, I think it's like over like 1,500 pages just based on Ephesians 6 and the armor of God, and it's gold. Um, I haven't read the whole thing. I just looked, read one page, and I was like, this is amazing because um, it's so practical, and he just applies it. Um, we're not going to do that. But I just want to give a couple of reasons, possibilities, causes as to why we might introspect. So Ephesians 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. A couple things. Notice, where are we to be strong? Where do we find our strength? In the Lord, Lord, right? You start to understand this union with Christ, and you're going to realize it's just everywhere in the New Testament. It is everywhere. I mean, Paul in particular is saying, this is who you are. You are in Christ. Therefore, you need to find your strength. Where? In Christ. Be strong in the Lord. It's not in ourselves, it's in the Lord. That's where we have our strength. So perhaps a cause of your struggle could be this, that you're trying to fight this battle with your own strength, okay? I mean, we just got to start there. I know it's basic, but that could often be like, well, hey, are you just trying to fight this battle? I mean, you could even go back to Romans 6, just with law. Hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Well, Paul's entire argument in Romans 6 is you're not under law, you're under grace, If grace has changed you, you're going to want to love Christ and obey him and want to find your strength in him, right? So are you finding your strength in the Lord or are you trying to fight the Lord's battle in your own strength? I'm just going to launch off here and I would also say that spiritual warfare based on this passage is real in the Christian life, okay? 
spiritual warfare is real. Okay? I, there's got to be an interesting history book about this, but I feel like in the more reformed circles of Protestantism, we tend to shy away from that, like demons and the devil. And I don't know why. I, I, maybe it's just an overreaction to the charismatic movement. Um, just look at this passage. Verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Who is this battle against? Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So yes, there is a conflict with your own sinful flesh, which we will talk about um, in weeks to come. But there's also the reality that Satan and his demons could be at play here. Okay, This is... I'm not pulling this out anywhere. Do you guys see that in the text? (laughs) Okay? This is serious stuff. We need this armor to what? Verse 11, fight against the schemes of the devil. Satan and his demons stand opposed to Christ and his people. And I was struck by this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in Spiritual Depression, he talks about Satan and the devil a lot. Okay? And uh, I think there's some truth we can glean from that. Um, I wanted to give this quote. I'd suggest... Another cause of your introspection could simply be the attacks of Satan and the devil and his demons, right? He could be attacking you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, There's nothing that so characterizes all the activities of Satan as his subtlety. He's not only able and powerful, he is subtle. Indeed, the Apostle Paul tells us that he can transform himself into an angel of light if necessary. The one thing he desires to do is to ruin and destroy the work of God, and there is no work of God which he is more anxious to destroy than the work of grace in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that since he cannot rob us of our salvation, we're secure in Christ, since he can't do that, his number one goal then is to make us miserable. If he cannot take our salvation, which he cannot, his number one goal is to then make us useless Christians. Okay? Yeah? I think oftentimes, we should get into this in the more weeks, but sometimes we actually can't tell. I don't know if it actually matters that much. I think we just need to be aware that there is a conflict going on and that we need to fight, right? Um, and we'll get into that when we talk about taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. You've got to realize Satan's going to throw all these darts at you. Maybe you don't even know it's a dart. Um, I mean, yeah, everybody's experience is different. We need to realize we need to fight the fight. Um, I think oftentimes... We can't tell. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good example. Yeah, Job didn't know. And he needed to fight the fight. He didn't do great in the fight all the time. But yeah, it's a good example of he didn't know. And actually, the Lord never tells him at the end. So from the Lord's point of view, it's actually not that important um, if he knows. He just calls us to be faithful in the fight. And so Satan wants us to be miserable Christians. And so we need to be aware of this conflict that we are in this fight of faith. And this is... Haley anticipating my next point. I just, sometimes, so, okay, it could be a cause. You're trying to fight the battle in your own strength. It could be Satan, and you don't even realize that, and his demons. I think one of the reasons we introspect is we don't even realize we're in a fight. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but that's my problem. I let my guard down. Like, just in ordinary day-to-day living, is we just forget that we're in the fight of faith. And this is the reminder I need, and this is where we're going to get to this in more weeks. We just need to preach to ourselves and constantly remind ourselves, Caleb, you're in the fight of faith. You need to press on. You need to keep going. You need to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Satan and his forces are against you. Like Satan does, so whether we know if it's personally against me or not, 
we can say Satan and his demons do hate the church and they do want to take our joy. Okay. So whether that's me or, you know, Kyle or Jeff or something like that, I don't know. Okay. But we all need to fight the fight of faith together. Does that make sense? Right. So we need to remind ourselves that we are in this fight. I might mention this later on, but Lloyd-Jones talks about this as well. He spends a whole chapter just talking about laziness and procrastination and slothfulness. And he, he spends a lot of time on, you know, just idle time. And it's helpful to realize that, you know, he, he points out, he's like, isn't it curious that every time you want to read the Bible, suddenly you're tired and you want to go to sleep? It's just like, that's true. I do. I start yawning. Or it's like, anytime you need to spend time in prayer, it's like, oh, you have all these other things to do, right? Now, I don't know. I would argue that's probably just my sinful, lazy flesh. Regardless, I need to say, no. No, this is what I need to do. I need to press on. I would say that these moments of idleness where we're left alone with our thoughts, Satan and his forces can use against us, right? So we need to get busy in one part. I love this. This is from Thomas Watson. Idleness tempts the devil to tempt. So good. Like, don't tempt the devil with, you know, what does Proverbs say? You know, like a little folding of the hands, a little slumber, you know, poverty comes upon you. Get out of bed and get busy. You got to fight the battle. Idleness tempts the devil to tempt. And so I think those are maybe some causes, right, why you might introspect and get to this spiritually depressed place where you're, you're, you can't do anything for the Lord, okay? Do you realize that we are in a fight, okay? That's one. Do we realize that there are spiritual evil forces at play, or do we seek to fight the battle in our own strength? So what do we do? Verse 13, verse 13, therefore, okay? In other words, because we're fighting against Satan and the spiritual legions of darkness, because we're in the spiritual conflict, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So this is the Lord's strength that we need to take up, how we're to be strong. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, I love this, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. He goes on. Like I said, a lot could be said on this passage. I just want to hone in on a couple of things. Notice, what I, this what, sometimes if I say great things, just realize I'm plagiarizing it from someone. This, I was actually just looking at the text, and I was like, whoa, I don't think I've ever noticed that before. What are the two things in our hands? The sword and the shield, Okay. So the rest of the armor, and I don't think I'm reading in the text here. The rest of the armor is more like what, passive, right? Like it's just on you. Like a helmet's just sitting on your head. Like you're like not like, if you're charging head first, like that's not what it's for, right? It's protect your head, okay? Right, like all these other things are passive. But what are the two active things we're to go into battle with? The shield and what's it, what's it of? The shield of what? Faith. And then what's the sword? The word of God. Okay, so in terms of how you're actively day-to-day fighting the battles. Yes, I mean, we could focus on those other parts of the armor. I'm not saying those are insignificant. But I think you got you to get behind that shield. you got to use it. Okay? Faith is not just this passive thing. No, you, uh, we apply faith in our life, right? 
We fight and defend with faith. So you have one that's defensive, one that's offensive. Right? And he starts, what? In all circumstances. Right? Where does he say that? Verse, what is it, 16? In all circumstances, whatever it may be, this is what you need to do. You need to take up the shield of faith. And later on, and the sword of the Spirit. So whether life is going well or it's not going well, what do you need to do? Take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Right? In sickness and in health, whatever it is, right? You've got to take those two things up, and you've got to fight the fight. And the shield of faith, I think sometimes, we don't use shields anymore, okay? We're in the 21st century. But these shields are not these little, like, circle things. Like, think of, like, like a Roman, if you guys have seen Gladiator, okay? Like, remember those shields they have? They're huge, okay? You can get your whole body behind them. And it's actually the same Greek word um, for shield is derived from the word we get door. Like, look at the door back there. You can get your whole body behind that thing, right? So in this battle, this shield of faith, I would just say you've got to get your whole person behind it, right? Your whole life needs to be behind the shield of faith, right? And I also say this. I don't have this in my notes. I'm kind of reading into this. But like even you think of the Roman centurions, one guy alone with his shield, is he doing pretty well by himself? No, because you can just attack from the sides. So what would they do? All lined up. And they would have shields over the top. And they would have shields on the side. I'm totally reading into this. But that's why you need the church. Okay? Because we all got to get them interlocking shields. We got to fight this fight of faith together. Right? Yeah. Does anyone have a question? I just had the thought that, um, you know, Satan and the demons, they know the word of God. Yeah. But the difference is they don't believe it. Yeah. They don't have, you know, the, the, the shield of faith is not there. Right. So they can quote it. They yeah. just don't believe it. Well, and there's no love, right? There's an excellent quote from Michael Reeves in his book on the Trinity. I'll try to mention it at some point in this class, where he talks about this, the formal religion of Satan. And it's just like, oh, man, it's so good. And I think it attacks a lot of our form, formal religion. And it's this reality that, do you love Christ? I mean, you go to the end of uh, John 21, right? Where um, John 21, John 20 where Jesus is talking to Peter, what does he say? Do you love me? Just goes back to that. Do you love the Lord? So if we love the Lord, we're going to fight this fight. I want to keep going here. Um, and, and this is how he applies it here. Notice, um, what is this verse? Verse 16, take up the shield of faith. What's the specific application in this verse? With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, right? So Satan's throwing these darts at you, and you've got to get behind that shield of faith. When Satan and his legions, these spiritual forces, are against us, again, like I said, he can't take our salvation. He'll seek to rob us of our joy, of our progress in Christ. And so we need to get behind that shield of faith. He'll make us ineffective. That's his goal. So we need to take it up. Uh, the shield of faith, again, it's not our feelings. We're not hiding behind our own understanding. We're not hiding behind our circumstances or our emotions. We're telling ourselves, preaching to ourselves, hey, I need to live by faith, and I'm hiding behind that shield. I need to go back again and again to what God's Word has said. And that's the other weapon, the other active weapon we're using, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's what we got to do. We're using that shield, and we're using that sword. So I think practically, I wanted to tease out a couple, okay, well, what does this look like? Okay. Well, I would just say one, if you're, maybe you're, you're fighting loneliness, uh, despair, you're discouraged, uh, depression, you feel abandoned, okay? How do you fight this? Well, you say, Lord, I don't feel like you're near, 
but I believe that you are, right? I, I believe, Hebrews 13, 5, where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you're preaching to yourself, hey, this is what I need to believe. That's that shield of faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? And, and you're fighting back with verses. Like Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe you need help, you're weak, you're downcast, you're discouraged, abandoned, you feel afraid, Right? Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Okay? That's true. Lord, it doesn't feel like this in my experience, but I know that you are near. I know that you are with me. Lord, please help me. Though the worst of circumstances may come. Verse 2 goes on to say, you know, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea. Literally like the world is blowing up. We trust in the Lord. We hide by faith behind that shield of faith. Or maybe, maybe specific to this class, you know, you're convicted of sin, guilt. You know, you're remembering that thing you did 10 years ago and you're down. It's just like, ah, oh, I can't go on. And so you're reminding yourself, yes, I know I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a greater savior. I know that I continually fall short, but Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 says that he ever lives above to make intercession for us. He's continually pleading the merits of his own sacrifice. I know that my sin, it seems to even increase at times, that I'm even a worse sinner now than I was before. We remind ourselves Romans 5, what? Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. You just keep going back to these promises of Scripture. 1 John 1, right? It says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. We fight the good fight of faith with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. It's that continual reminding ourselves of what God's Word says and that He's at work in us. And there's an excellent illustration of this. I wanted to get back to this. We've got a couple of minutes. Good. Uh, in Pilgrim's Progress... Okay. As far as we know, it's hard to keep track of kind of statistics and stuff like that. Um, but until the end of the 20th century, the best-selling book next to the Bible was Pilgrim's Progress. Okay. Um, I'm hoping to do, Lord willing, I'd like to do an equipping our class a little bit in Pilgrim's Progress because it's so good. It's so good. Um, so it's a preview of coming attractions, maybe. Okay. <laughs> but Pilgrim's Progress, okay? there's this scene where um, Christian on this journey, he runs into Apollyon, which is just another name for Satan in Revelation 9. And it's just epic. It's like this great conflict. And, uh, you know, he's saying all these things. Hey, you need to turn back to the city of destruction. And Christian's like, no, I'm on my way to um, the celestial city. I'm not turning around, you know, all that stuff. And then Apollyon begins to accuse Christian. Here's what he said. Apollyon accused, you almost fainted when you first set out. When you almost choked in the swamp of despond, you also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way. Instead of patiently waiting for the prince to take it off, you sinfully slept and lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions. And when you talk of your journey and of what you have heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory and all you do and say. So he's accusing him. And he's saying, hey, look at all these sins you've done. You're pathetic. You need to turn back. Okay? You're, you're not doing well on this path. And even, even deep down, pridefully, you just want this for your own glory. And notice how Christian responds. It's so good. All this is true and much more that you have failed to mention, Christian agreed, but the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides these infirmities possessed me while I was in your country, for there I allowed them to come in. I'm talking about the city of destruction where he was living in his sin. But I have groaned under them, have been sorry for them, and have obtained pardon from my prince. Oh, it's so good. So basically he says, he's like, yeah, you're right. I am terrible, right? But it's not on my basis that I gain access to the celestial city, right? That I'm on this path. 
It's all Christ and his merit. And so I, I think one of the best chapters in Think Again, I think it's titled, what is it? It's like, yeah, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. <laughs> it's really good. Like, if you sit there and think about yourself long enough, like, you're going to realize, like, oh, it's like, man, I forgot about that. Like, that was sin. Like, that was wrong. You are worse than you think you are. But Christ is greater than we think he is. Um, and so we continually need to go back to that. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on about that. Um, I mean, if you guys remember the hymn, what is it? I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. You got to keep preaching that to yourself. We keep going back to that. You preach that to yourself. You get behind that shield of faith and you're using the sword of the spirit, the word of God in that conflict. So we're in Christ. So we talked about last week, our union is in him. And I, I think it's fine if we start here. We got to, we got to realize we're in a fight. Okay. We're in a battle for our minds. And whether it's our sinful flesh or Satan, uh, we need to fight it with the sword of the Spirit and hide behind the shield of faith. Any questions about that? I've got a couple minutes. If not, it's okay. Is this helpful? Yeah. I, it's, I mean, I would, people are saying, like, wow, you're doing like a class on introspection. You don't seem like an introspective guy. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe not, but I do have feelings, you know? Like, um, <laughs> like, like like, I enjoy, I enjoy Disneyland, um, you know, and, but I would just say, like, so much of this is so practical to all of us, no matter where we are, okay, and we need to, whether we're encouraging ourselves, we need to encourage other people as well. Yeah, HJ and then Charity. Um, I just wanted to, like, make a point um, about what you just did. That's what we mean whenever we say, like, the gospel is for every day. The oh, yeah. Yep, yep. But we literally need the gospel every day of our lives yep. because we have to do what you just said every day of our lives. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just putting words to it. Like that's preaching the gospel to yourself and that's reminding yourself of the gospel and resting in Christ. Yep, uh, yep. That's exactly true. Charity? I think when I talk to uh, women to your offering, they're almost depressed that they're depressed that they have to battle. Like mm. things must be wrong if I have to battle. Yeah. Yeah. And this is God is at work. But just that perspective of the battle is it's 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 actually something I should find not and enjoy it. But yeah. sometimes in our I think in our world we tend to think if I have to battle something must be wrong. I don't want to battle. Yeah. And just that different mindset of God is at work in me when I'm battling. Yep. If I'm battling for these Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna quote this again when we deal with you know, sin and stuff like that, but Lloyd-Jones says this. Um, the fact that you are unhappy or troubled is no indication that you are not a Christian. Indeed, I would go further and say that if you have never had any trouble in your Christian life, I should very much doubt whether you are a Christian at all. And so I think we think, man, hey, I'm having issues. I'm struggling. Rather than that being a sign of you're not being a Christian, I think that's a sign that you are, that this is ordinary Christian life, that it is a conflict. And so... Yeah. Yep. Keep fighting. Yep. All right. You're dismissed. Next week, we'll keep going.